Hello everyone, this is Ward and you're listening to episode number 9 of the Ward Bok podcast. And today I want to talk a little bit more about crypto assets. Yes, it's another one of those. Today I'll be focusing a little bit more on the bigger picture and mainly about the uh, fight between banks and the crypto world. Uh, Cryptocurrencies, it's... You know, the idea behind it is that we don't need banks anymore. So quite obviously, there is going to be a little bit of back and forth and fighting going on between the two ways of thinking. And, you know, I've, I've, I try to kind of stay in the middle. Like, you know, I try not to see things as black and white. I try to see both sides of the story and then, you know, take the best uh, out of it for myself. Uh, But this week I got targeted on Facebook with an advertisement for uh, BNP Paribas Fortis, which is uh, a bank here in Belgium. And it was an article by their chief economist, Koen de Leus. uh, And the title was, Why Investing in Bitcoin is a Bad Idea. Now, uh, in the comments below the article, it was quite funny. Everybody saying like, of course you think it's a bad idea. You're a bank, you know all of these things, but everyone has the right for their own opinion. And, you know, this guy was just giving his insights from an economist point of view, which, you know, I respect. Uh, And, you know, it's fair enough. You know, a bank is a commercial enterprise. They don't they don't want you to trade bitcoins and, you know, move your money away from them. Uh, So I read the article because I was kind of curious what you know, what you were saying about it. Maybe I could learn something. Uh, but there was like a big kind of contradiction in there. Like one of the things, so the title is why investing in Bitcoin is a bad idea. And at some point in the article, he says it's not unlikely given its current growth rate that the Bitcoin market cap will go from $250 million to $1 trillion in the coming years. So he said that it's not unlikely in the coming years not decades or centuries, in the coming years that it will basically go. It's not 4x, but let's say for sake of arguments, it is 4x. So not unlikely. You need to put like a, like as, a, as an investor or as, you know, you know, someone smart, you put some, like the not unlikely, put a percentage on that. So let's say it's 50-50. Like 50-50, uh, you will either lose all your money or you will quadruple it. Uh, you know, the money, it goes 4x your money. Now, I was kind of interested to see if it, you know, he says it's a bad idea to invest in Bitcoin, but at the same time, he's saying it's not unlikely your money will go for X. Now, I had a look, I got curious, so I looked at like the standard saving account with BNP Paribas, so the bank he's representing, you get 0.11% annual interest. And if you want to 4X your money with them, it would take you 1,262 years. So I guess he's arguing that this is a better investment than putting your money in Bitcoin. I mean, again, this is like kind of black and white and I'm kind of taking this to the extremes, but it is kind of, you know, he's kind of contradicting himself. I think uh, like it's not that one is good and the other one is bad, but I wouldn't like what I'm doing quite often with any kind of money related decisions is like one of my rules is that I don't want to compromise on value by reducing risk. And, 
you know, in, in crypto assets, most people say you invest only between one and 5% of your net worth in this area. Uh, I'm also sticking to that. I wouldn't recommend you to, to put any more of your net worth into crypto assets, but to say that it's a bad idea to invest in it, that's maybe a little bit too far. Um, he also says like that there will very likely be a crash. Like that's kind of the, the what he's saying, like it, it might go from 250 million to 1 trillion before there will be a crash. Like it might happen sooner, it might happen later. And in the crypto world, like 40% down, that kind of happens every week these days. That's only a correction, like a crash would be 80% or more. Um, and as an investor, you need to be prepared for this. For this. Now, um, from an like an economist point of view, like he talks about the benefits of government control over money and its effect on stability, which is a fair point in Belgium and probably in most developed countries. Um, you know, the fact that they kind of control the stability of their currency. But then, if you ask someone from Venezuela what they think about that, I guess their inflation rate is the only thing in the financial markets that's more exponential than the value of crypto assets. So, you know, it's it's again not black and white. And I'm I'm sure you know traditional money will exist for a long time. Um, but you know, I was interested in this article, so I, so I'm moving on in this article. He goes on to say that the underlying technology of Bitcoin blockchain is interesting and i think we'll be hearing this a lot you know like this this bitcoin thing decentralized governments and companies they don't really like that so they they're kind of looking okay so what can i can we take out of this what can we learn from this which is fair enough and this blockchain idea they kind of like it the fact that you cannot change the past you know and and like the records are there for everyone to see like kind of you know this this kind of stuff they they like it so i'm sure <laughs> I'm sure like the banks are, you know, investing in research and development in this area. Um, but I mean, in the end, blockchain is basically a database. Like, of course, it's interesting for a bank. Mm. And I'm, I'm having a little sip of coffee here. Um, but the thing that makes Bitcoin so brilliant is, first of all, because it's decentralized. There is nobody can is controlling it. Then there is the blockchain, there's also consensus rules, and there is proof of work. And it's those four combined that make Bitcoin what it is. You take away one and it's just not the same. And most often what they will take away is the decentralized part. That is the companies and the governments. But saying that, you know, this Bitcoin thing is interesting, but we're not going to do it. But th this blockchain thing is interesting. We'll, we'll use that. Like very often when you hear like, you know, big picture uh, talks by Andreas Antonopoulos or other people about Bitcoin, they compare it to the first cars. Like when the first cars came along, people didn't really like it. Uh, they said, you know, like it's dangerous and the roads are not made for those cars. And they were like they were breaking down all the time. So they were laughing with it. And he's kind of comparing it to that. And I think if you if you pull it further like this block like we're going to use the blockchain but not the other stuff it's kind of like okay so these cars it's this new thing we kind of see it but we don't really like it but this wheel that you have we really like it so we're going to copy the technology behind your the wheel you have on the car and we're going to fit this wheel on our horse carriages and then you know you can like play around with your car a little bit more but we'll have much better horse carriages than we had before you know uh, I mean, in in the long run, you know what's going to win. Like, I know what's going to win. And 
like going back to the article, I think what it proves to me again is that like, so this guy, Kundalus, like he doesn't really understand what Bitcoin is, or at least he's not like proclaiming that as well, um, which is fair enough. And you'll hear this very often, like Warren Buffett, for example, he's like, obviously people ask for his idea on, on Bitcoin and, and he's said like, it kind of looks like a bubble to me, but in the end, like when I take it, investment advice, I want to take investment advice from people who know what they're talking about, regardless of their title or their reputation. So if Warren Buffett says it looks like a bubble, I'm like, thank you, Warren. Uh, and I've followed his investment advice a lot. And I've read like the books that he recommends for his investment advice, etc, etc. But if Warren Buffett, like I'm not taking like his advice here into account, because if Warren Buffett would say, okay, so I spent a week researching Bitcoin, I read the white paper, I read, you know, the books, I spoke to Andreas Antonopoulos, Nick Szabo, all these people, like they explained it to me. I fully understand what it is, but because of this and this and this, I don't believe it's going to be successful. In that case, I would probably follow, you know, Warren Buffett's advice. And I think that's an important distinction to take here. There's going to be a lot of economists giving like, like the online newspapers, they're desperate to get opinions from many many people and and they you know all these articles like i think bitcoin is going to be worth one hundred thousand dollars one day or one million dollars one day they try to get those quotes from famous people so they so it's news and they can publish it but in the end like don't get too like caught up in those things like i mean nobody knows what it's gonna do it might crash i don't know um but in the end, right, so take your investment advice from people who know what they're talking about. I think that's really, really important. And it doesn't mean that someone has been very successful in investing that, you know, and, and they keep asking for their opinion on something that they do know what they're talking about. I don't think so. <coughs> Moving on. Uh, so there will be a lot of, you know, battles between the banks and the cryptos. And as I said before, you know, it's quite black and white and I want to... Um, yeah, and I want to kind of stay in the middle a little bit. In general, the crypto people, they hate banks and they don't want to deal with them and they want to take all their money away from the banks and just have it all in, in, in crypto assets. Um, but to be honest, like one of the reasons I'm in there is for the money. Like I want to make money from this. And like, what would you do if, let's say, the 10 biggest banks in the world came up with bank coin, right? Uh, like Morgan Stanley and, and, and all of those, like they would say, okay, we've created this new crypto asset. It's called bank coin. Um, it, it has all the aspects of Bitcoin and, and all the others. It's just not fully decentralized. They keep a little bit of control. I think a lot of people would not want to invest in it just out of principle. Uh, but to be honest, I would probably invest in something like that if it's backed by these big banks because they will stay around for a little bit longer. Like there is, they're not gone yet. And to like what I think banks should do, like so BNP Paribas or other ones, what they should do is make it possible to trade crypto assets on their platform. I mean, and then they can charge, you know, their 1% fees or whatever they want. Um, I, I don't I don't think trading cryptos will become mainstream for another couple of years. And as long as, you know, I mean, it, it's going to take quite like they can take like 10 years of profits of people trading cryptos on their platforms. So if I was a bank, I would do something like that, like the decentralized exchanges, like the ones I'm invested in, like 0x and Loopring, 
Um, I mean, that's not going to be mainstream for another couple of years. So if I was a bank, I'd probably they are looking at this. And also, I think banks are probably buying, like at the same time they're saying like, don't buy it. And at the same time they are buying it. And then they will sell it to you at a markup later when it becomes available on their platforms. That's how it works. Evil. <laughs> now, um, like my, my uh, opinion on banks, right? So I have nothing against the people who work there. I mean, they all have the best intentions and it's a commercial enterprise like any others any other you know and and they are there to make money they are listed on the stock exchange um and it's a you know it's a commercial enterprise the problem is that people don't realize that i don't know why but you know when you go to a bank and they want to sell you insurance or credit cards or any type of investment product it's for them to make money to make a profit on that that's their that's their business model so i mean I know in the US there's like this fiduciary rule and, and your banker has to act in your best interest, but this is a very, very gray area. And I guess in a lot of countries, this doesn't really exist. And then, you know, it's so difficult. Like if they are advising you to, to buy an active traded fund that they get a commission on versus an ETF that they make no money on, like what would they advise to you? You know, in the end, the results will be quite similar. Um, so like... It's, it's kind of difficult. Like, actually, I looked at, like, my bank, like, the one I've been a customer for a long time, like, one of them, and they are, like, targeting, like, I guess a lot of old people have their money there and their retirements and stuff, and they have, like, an active traded fund that's very similar to the ETFs I'm invested in, and basically, they charge 5% as a one-off fee if you put your money in there, and then an additional 4% per year, you know, like, maintenance cost like this so that's like in the first year like you lose nine percent of your money so they would have to beat the stock market by more than nine percent like that's that, like even warren buffett cannot do that right so these these kind of things you know that's what gets me upset they've built this trust over generations with their customer base and then like you know this then you go in there and you ask like what should i put my money in? and they're like oh this is like something really secure and da -da -da -da, you know yeah, it's, it's you're you're an investor now congratulations uh you know so this is what i'm quite skeptical about uh and in the end they just want you to make transactions and they want you to you know do take part in all their products and everything now <clears throat> back to the big economic questions about cryptos and to be honest I cannot really answer the big questions, just like the chief economist of BNP Paribas, I'm not an expert in both, right? I'm actually not an expert in either of them. He's an economist, but not an expert in cryptos. So it's really difficult to say what the effect is going to be on our economy. But to be honest, the question, the question about is it going to be good or bad for our economy? It's kind of irrelevant because cryptos are here, you know, there's no, there's no going back. You cannot uninvent something. It's there. So the only really good question is, how are we going to deal with this? That's the only question you should ask yourself. And then what I recommend is to bring that question back all the way to yourself. How are you going to deal with this, right? Like from my perspective, what I'm doing is I'm educating myself to get a better understanding of what is happening so I can grab opportunities when they present themselves. That's what I'm doing. 
I want to know everything about the crypto space. I want to I want to know what's going on there. I want to understand the technology. Like I've read Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos, which is very difficult, right? Like from this book, I maybe understand 10% of what I read. I really understand like what's going on. And the other 90 is like, yeah, mm -hmm, I kind of get it, but don't ask me to replicate what I just read because it's just so complicated. But by understanding 10% of this book, I'm convinced I know more than 99% of the general population about cryptos. So when there's going to be something coming that's interesting, I'm going to be ahead of everyone else. And that's how I'm dealing with this. So the choice is yours, you know, what you will want, how you want to deal with this. I think what the coming years are going to look like is, you know, massive lobbying by established businesses and governments to reduce the influence of crypto assets. Some countries might even make it illegal, you know, like I'm sure like it is already in some countries. But at the same time, you know, those companies will be building products based on the underlying technology. So not decentralized, they keep control. Uh, I think those things are, are going to be there at the same time like banks are going to be buying like investors and, and, and hedge funds or whatever, they're going to buy crypto assets. They're going to start releasing, you know, um, crypto ETFs and all of this, these kind of things. There's going to be more mainstream exchanges. And in the end, like this is a new technology and you can try to resist it as much as you want. But in the end, it's going to be there, whether you like it or not. It's like the Internet. I'm sure there were non-believers in the Internet like this. I think it's this IBM guy who got super famous from this quote that he said that the Internet's never going to be there. And it's just similar to that. You know, you can like it, you can not like it, but it's here. So, you know, you can choose to ignore it or you can deal with it. It's up to you. And, you know, it's an interesting contradiction because we're always talking about the tech and, the you know, the the underlying technology that will change the world and nobody smart will deny that like that's kind of true but at the same time what makes it go mainstream is the money you know people like there's so many stories about people who are getting or got rich from these crypto assets and this is what gives it the media attention and this is what you know puts it on the map and gets people interested and the more people are interested the more people who are you know going to use it um and talking about people who are going to use it, like the poor people in Venezuela, I guess they don't have, like not many of them have Bitcoin at the moment. I guess 99.99% of the market cap of crypto assets is just rich people, you know. And I think the big, big revolution there will come in some parts of Asia with some really good um, projects going on there and some other countries that are just not stable, you know and where, where Bitcoin might already be more stable than their, their local currency, such as Venezuela. Um, and then, you know, so at the moment, it's still the rich people and there's still poor countries and all these things. In the long run, I'm convinced that, you know, like less developed countries will be embracing this. And, you know, to end uh, the podcast of today, I want to give you a thought. Um, there was like an article that was shared on, on Facebook uh, from a Belgian newspaper. And the article basically said that the 1% richest people in the world got like richer in 2017, right? So the wealth distribution, like the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, or the poor are at least not catching up with the rich people, you know, and the top 1% got richer in 2017. And, you know, the article was like judging this fact and then people were sharing this on Facebook 
being outraged, like, oh, the rich are getting richer, uh, you know, all of these things, like, where is solidarity in 2017 or 2018, you know, and, and all of these angry people. And then I got curious because I was looking like, okay, so what is 1%? So I was looking in the article to see how much you need to earn to be part of the 1% of richest people in the world. I couldn't really find it, so I was looking on other sources, and the most reliable number I came across was 26,000 euros per year. So if you earn more than 26,000 euros per year, you are part of the richest or the best earning 1% of the people in the world. So a lot of the people sharing this article were probably part of the 1%. I think that was an interesting thought. Uh, and to be honest, like cryptocurrencies, they will help reduce this. They will help reduce this distribution thing because at the moment if you live in some african country and you want to send money there like western union charges a lot of money really high fees if you want to send money to you know say some african and like not so developed country if you want to send remittances there at the same time if you want to send money to the united states they will only charge you know like four percent or whatever it is so there is this kind of discrimination there and cryptocurrencies like bitcoin doesn't care how much money you are sending or how rich you are. I mean, at the moment, there's some issues with, you know, the fees. But in in the long run, like cryptocurrencies, they don't care. Like they don't even know borders. Like they don't exist in cryptocurrencies. So to help, you know, the wealth distribution in the world and to give people equal chances of getting rich, I think cryptocurrencies will play a huge role in the coming years and decades. And that's what I want to end this podcast with today. Thank you for listening. I will uh, post a link to the article uh, from the bank in uh, the description. But it's in Dutch or I think you can put it in French as well. So not in English. Uh, so if you're interested in reading that, uh, you know, get your blood, blood boiling, <laughs> then make sure to click that. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe or tell your friends about this podcast if you want. And I hope to speak to you soon.